Today I want to talk to you about one point in particular that this symbol represents, and that is victory. Somebody say victory. victory. Somebody say victory. victory. The balcony, come on, some of you guys say victory. victory. The bottom, say victory. victory. All the ladies say victory. victory. All the men say victory. victory. All the losers say victory. That's cold, huh? That was a setup. That was a setup. That was messed up. Bad pastor. You never see losers high five each other. You don't see that. You never see losers all the time. Oh, man, that was awesome, guys. Great game, guys. That was awesome. Really, if anything, it's more of an encouragement. Like, hey, it's okay, you guys. Good job. It's all right. We'll get them next time. But victors, they don't say next time. They say, we want today, you've got the victory. See, today I want you to understand something, that today, no matter what you've gone through, today you have the victory. No matter what you've been through, you have the victory. Tell your neighbor, you've got the victory. Now, what's very important about this victory that we understand and we look at is that in this symbol, just really briefly, I want to tell you something. If you were to live back in the days and you were to see this symbol, it's not what you think. Matter of fact, this symbol to those that lived in those times was not a wonderful symbol at all. Matter of fact, it would be a ridiculous thing to even think that the symbol represented victory. Matter of fact, this cross signified something shameful, something ugly, something despicable and vile, even very wretched. It represented the unclean. Matter of fact, if you were here on Friday, we even learned about how the symbol, this cross was only reserved for those who were, we even called the revolutionists, uh, those that were unclean, those that were defiled, the, the thieves, right? Because Jesus was, was hung between two thieves. That's, matter of fact, that's what it was re reserved for, the people who came against the government. It was a shameful thing. So how in the world did this shameful, vile, wretched symbol become the gleaming hope of our faith? How did something so ugly become so beautiful? How did something so weak become so powerful? See, my friend, I'm here to tell you, it's not so much the symbol that has the power, but it's the man that died upon that that has the power. And listen, you got to get that in your spirit this morning. It's not the symbol that has the power. It's the man that died upon that symbol that has the power. Now, for those of you vampire fans, I know I'm sorry. I hate to bring it to you. The movies, they've been wrong. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched The Lost Boys before. You ever seen that movie? Right? And right away, what do they do? Oh, my gosh, what do you got to do? Get the cross. Get the cross. Ah! Right? And the vampire, oh, no, it's the cross. <laughs> Not the cross. Ah! Holy water, holy water. Hurry, hurry. You guys remember that? Spread the holy water, holy water. I don't even know if you can make holy water. Is that possible? Everything that man touches is defiled. Is that even possible to make holy water? I know some of you Catholics right now, I just went, oh my gosh, there's no holy water? I'm sorry. There's no, maybe if I touch it, it might, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> Look at that, I already became a liar. But even in movies, they give you the cross. Oh, look at my friend. It's not the symbol. It's not the symbol. It's the man that died upon the symbol. See, many of us, we wear these crosses around our neck. We see them in our uh, bumper stickers. We have them. 
We look at them. We have them on top of our churches. We Oh, man, there's a cross. There's power there. I want you to know something. The power of the cross is already inside of you because it's not the symbol. It's the man that died on that symbol. Because of him, you have power. And because of him, you have victory. You don't need to wear a cross to have victory. You don't need to have them on the back of your car to have victory. You already have victory. Tell your neighbor, you already got victory. See, it's more than even just Christ dying on the cross that makes it great. It's God's victory over the death that the cross had caused. See, my friend, my Jesus, he died on that cross, not a pathetic victim, but a princely victor. He was not the victim that you see so much, but he was a victor. I know many times we see the, the crown on his head, and so you think right away, Jesus lost. But I want you to know something. My Jesus, he won even before he got on that cross. Automatically, even before that, Christ himself said, it's not my will, but your will be done. And God's will was always for him to be the victor and always for you to be the victor. No matter your situation, no matter what you're going through, you are the victor. Can I hear an amen? Matter of fact, his life was not taken, but it was given free of choice. John chapter 10 verse 18 says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority and the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up. In Luke chapter 23 verse 34, we see the agony of Jesus being more than a conqueror. And even by these great words, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine being I mean, just literally speared, being whipped, being, I mean, just humiliated, spit on. I mean, so if somebody just spit on you, don't you think that's enough? I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I've heard some stories about how even different uh, uh, gangs have started and different mafias have started. One of the legends and the myths that they talk about is that somebody stepped on a boot or somebody, you know, spit on a guy's boot. And, oh, man, that's it, you know. I mean, wars have started over one person getting their boots spit on. Can you imagine Jesus Christ getting spit on over and over, mocked over and over, and yet Christ said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There was even a centurion that was there. there you got to remember, centurions have seen death over and over and over and over and over again, and yet here's the centurion. He says, truly, this has to be the Son of God. Somebody who has seen death in his life over and over, recognized and seen, not a victim, but a victor. Now, because of that, each and every one of us have the opportunity to be a victor. Tell your neighbor, I'm a victor. Now, I know Victor Romero right now is saying, yes, I am a victor. If your name is Victor, right away you get away with it. But I want you to know something. Here this morning, you have the victory. And God can use anybody because you have the victory. No matter what you've done, you're probably saying, well, God can't use me. I, I know we hear about this. And, you know, that's good for the pastors. That's good for the preachers. That's good for the people that wear ties and come to church every Sunday. I'm, not, I'm really not the person that comes to church every Sunday. I'll just come every once in a while. So I don't have a, I have partial victory. No, I want you to know something. If you have Christ living inside of you, no matter if you come to church every Sunday or every so often, you need to know something, you have the victory. The victory is yours. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise for that. The victory is yours, no matter what. No matter what you've gone through. Now, just real briefly, I did a little bit of research because I was talking about this, and I said, well, 
if really we're going to believe that we are the victor, how did that happen even within the Bible? I was looking at this, and I began to research it. I just want to show you here, showing you truly that God can use messed up people. He can use anybody, anybody at any time. Look at this. Who did he use? Noah. He was a drunk. Abraham, he was too old. Isaac was a liar, and so was his dad. Jacob was a liar and a schemer. Leah, she was ugly. It's cold, huh? That's cold. That's cold. Hey, it was what the Bible. The Bible says she was plain. My interpretation, she was ugly. Jacob didn't want her. That's cold, huh? Can you imagine being, getting married? Say, oh, here you go. He opens the veil and goes, hey, that's Leah. I don't want you. And then dad says, okay, if you don't want her, you got to work another seven years. Fine. She ugly. I'm getting another one. You know, that's pretty ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Oh, my gosh. Put some clothes on, Isaiah. Jonah ran from God. Na Naomi was a bitter widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ three times. The disciples fell asleep while praying and left Jesus at his most important moment. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. And Timothy had stomach problems. And the best one of all, Lazarus, was dead. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure dead people you can't use. Jesus said, no, 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 I know he's dead. Wake him up. Wake him up. Get up, get up, get up. I got you. My father used to always say, as long as you're breathing, there's hope. As long as you're breathing, oh, I don't, you know, my, my kids, my family, I, I don't look like this. I don't dress like that. I don't talk like that, man. I don't, I don't have the hat like Pastor Josie. She looks so awesome right now. I, I can't do that. I can't rock that thing. I had to throw that in there for all the podcast people listening on the, on the podcast right there. I, I, I'm not like this. I'm not like that. Well, listen, my friend, there's a whole list of people that God used. Now, you're probably saying, well, how is that even possible? The other day, I was watching the, some Super Bowl highlights. Because even when football's over, it's like you still want your football, right? I mean, you, you hear Raider fans. are like, oh, they're all excited. We picked up this guy, picked up that guy, and, oh, we still got money. You know what's heck of funny is that Raiders got money, but we talk like we got money, right? Like, yeah, I got a million dollars. You ain't got a million dollars. The owner's got it. Same with the Niners. All these guys getting arrested. Right? What's up with these Niners, man? They're going to be, they're going to have gold chains. What's up with that? These guys, man. They need Jesus. But I was watching the Super Bowl highlights the other day, and I was, I was watching it. Something really got me and struck me. As they were showing the Super Bowl highlights, I mean, they didn't really talk about this, but it struck me. As they were doing it, I believe it was Super Bowl 21. I want to say it was Super Bowl 21. It was the Giants versus the Broncos. This is the first time it had ever happened. And what they did is they had the Super Bowl, and somebody from Disney had went to NBC and also went to the NFL and said, hey, can we do this? They said, sure, you can do it. So they went to both John Elway and Phil Simms, and they told them, okay, if you win, I want you to say this. They said, okay. 
how much are you going to pay me? So they paid him $75,000 to say just a few words. So when the game was over, all of a sudden, the camera went right to Phil Simms. The Giants won. They went right to Phil Simms. They're in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 21. And they asked him, Phil Simms, you just won the Super Bowl. You're on top of the world. You're the MVP. What are you going to do next? I'm going to Disneyland. That's it. That's all he said. $75,000. I can say that. You can give me money. I can do it. Of course, I'm not as good as he was on the quarterback position. So he earned that. So I looked it up as I began to research that. This ticket sales after he said that went through the roof for Disneyland. Skyrocketed. Because everybody said, hey, wait a second. He's going to go to Disneyland. So am I. Now, how come they didn't do it to John Elway? Well, he lost. Later on, he won. Later on, he had the opportunity. But right there in 1987, that was the very first time they ever did that on live television. And they asked him, where are you going to go? What are you going to do next? What's going to happen? He said, I'm going to Disneyland. And everybody watching went, if he's going, then so am I. In the same way, when Christ died on that cross, and he took the keys from death, hell, and the grave, and he said, look, now I've reserved a place for everybody. The, the heaven's attendance went up 2 billion percent. Now, I don't know, for those of you scholars, I just made that up. Don't look at me like, oh my gosh, the pastor said 2 billion percent. I don't know, I just made that up. However, when Christ died on the cross, went, took the keys from death, hell, and the grave, all of us had the opportunity, I'm going to heaven now. If Christ can go to heaven, then so can I. See, you have the same opportunity to find yourself a victor. The same one. You don't have to be perfect. He fought the fight for you. The Lord's fight. It's already done. See, some of you think you have to work so hard. Okay, I got to come to church. Okay, man. And some of you, you put this kind of your own oppression on you because you don't make church enough. And you think it's all about attendance. I want you to know something. It's not about church attendance. I know a lot of people, they come to church, and they've been coming to church since even before I was born. They make church. But, man, I, I, I don't really know, man, because some of the things that they do and say, because they don't live like a victor. They live like a victim. Because it's always, all oh, poor me, poor me. I'm going to church, but poor me, poor me. Like, no, it's not poor you. Victor you. You have the victory. You don't have to live defeated. You have the opportunity every day, not just Sundays, to wake up and say, hey, I've got the victory. Tell your neighbor one more time, i got the victory. King is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed 
the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of...